Good evening, good to see you. Hope that you had a wonderful afternoon and glad that we can be back together studying God's Word again. We're continuing our series on the Minor Prophets. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 8 is where we'll be at. And again, as a reminder for all of us who have been here, and perhaps if you haven't been here, uh, again, if you're visiting, thank you for taking the time to be here with us. We really appreciate it. Hope that you'll give us some time afterwards to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, But we're going through uh, each of the Minor Prophets. Again, they're minor just because they're a little bit shorter, not because they're any less important. And we're looking for one lesson uh, that we can take away from each of these minor prophets. And uh, tonight's a little bit different. Uh, you know, the last few ones I've had uh, some historical background and some important things to kind of set the stage. But I want to start uh, talking about Zechariah by saying, wow, this is a weird book. Uh, this is just uh, one of those books that uh, if you know someone who's moderately interested in Christianity or wants to read the Bible, don't send them to Zechariah first because they'll get pretty confused. Uh, it's similar uh, as far as the, the language, the figurative language to Jeremiah and to Revelation and to some other books, but it is just a little bit of a strange book. Now, there's some lessons that we're going to take, one specific lesson that we're going to take from it tonight, uh, but it was not the easiest one uh, to draw out a lesson that will be applicable for us today. Uh, but it proves a point. It proves a point that the, the historical context of what's going on uh, when these books are being written is important. Uh, the geographical context, you need to know certain cities and places and mountain ranges and that sort of thing. And certainly, especially for Old Testament books, especially for uh, the prophets, you need to know the Jewish context. What's going on in the Jewish religion? What's going on with the Jewish nation in order to really be able to grasp a large portion of what the prophet Zechariah is saying? The one thing that I can think about and, and we can kind of uh, make a connection with. Last week, we talked about Haggai. Uh, well, Zechariah and Haggai are prophesying at the same time. So we talked in, in pretty good detail last week about the historical situation that uh, the Persian Empire had begun sending back the Israelites uh, to rebuild the temple, eventually rebuild the wall, eventually rebuild the entire city of Jerusalem. So it's a similar situation that's being faced with here. And here is uh, a, a few things that we need to, to recognize and realize and, and things that you can take away and, and, and know these things about the book of Zechariah. If there's a theme, if there's a theme in this book, the theme is God's blessings are conditional on our faithfulness. God's blessings are conditional on our faithfulness. Now, we can take a, a few different points from that. Uh, first of all, God's blessings are conditional. Uh, God does not promise that he will save everyone. God does not promise that he will bless everyone. God does not promise that good things will happen to everyone or that he will bring about good for everyone. God does make promises that he will work everything out according to the good of those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. God does cause everything, good things, bad things, mediocre things, to, to work in such a way that eventually they will turn out good for those who are seeking and serving God daily. And then also, I want us to, to think about this idea, something I mentioned before, but I'll probably mention it just about every time it comes up. I want us to understand this idea that God's blessings are conditional on our faithfulness. The idea of faithfulness. I again want to make a distinction between faithfulness and perfection. God's blessings are not conditional upon our perfection. God will, it's not that we have to be perfect in order to receive God's blessings. It's that we have to be faithful in order to receive God's blessing. What's the difference? 
Uh, faith in the Bible could be very easily translated to a word we understand better today, perhaps because faith is a religious word, faith is a church word. We kind of have this, this uh, ambiguous definition in our mind of what faith is. But a word like trust is a lot more solid. God's blessings are conditional upon our trust in him. Because if I trust God, I'm going to listen to what he says. If I trust God, I'm going to do what he tells me to do. If I trust God, I'm going to understand that at the end of this life, even if I go through difficulty and trial and tribulation, at the end of this life, he has told me there is a place waiting for me, and that's where I'm going. So when you think about faith, it's a word that you may understand perfectly, but it has helped me personally to understand faith simply as do I trust in God. And if I trust in God, then that will change a lot of my actions. So God's blessings are conditional for the Israelites. God's blessings are conditional for us today based on our faithfulness, our trust in him continually. A couple other things that are of note of the book of Zechariah, there are some messianic prophecies and there are some other prophecies that are mentioned here that help us to, to look at the, uh, the validity of the Bible. Uh, first of all, you know, when Jesus uh, in the triumphal entry, remember that he enters on the cult of a donkey and he's very specific, go find this cult and, he's, and it's, it's a very, big deal and they lay down the palm branches and that sort of thing well that's prophesied about here in the book of Zechariah Uh, we find one of the places that's prophesied here and then also uh, the the fall of the city of Tyre is prophesied within this book as well Uh, years before it would happen uh, very specific details about how Tyre would fall and uh, and this is something that's significant important because history outside of the Bible backs and supports the claims that the Bible makes about what will happen later in the future to Tyre. So that's an example of some of the prophecies that you can find not only in the book of Zechariah, but in some of the other Old Testament uh, books as well. Turn to Zechariah chapter 8. Let's look to our our one lesson, uh, one point to take from this book tonight. Zechariah chapter 8. Let's read verses 1 through 8. Zechariah chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Zion. Yes, with great wrath I am jealous for her. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts will be called the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Old men and old women will again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each man with his staff in his hand because of age. And the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls playing in the streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if it is too difficult in the sight of the remnant of this people in these in those days, will it also be too difficult in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts? Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I am going to save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west, and I will bring them back, and they will live in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, listen to this, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. So, so a lot of uh, encouraging things there, I think. God says, I'm jealous for Zion. I'm jealous for, uh, for Jerusalem. What he's saying is, I'm jealous. I'm, I'm, I'm longing for my people. Remember, they have been taken away into captivity. And why were they taken away into captivity? Because they had turned away from God. This is some 70 or so years after they had initially been taken away into captivity. He is longing for those times when their relationship was right. He is longing for those times when he was their God and they were his people and they enjoyed that specific relationship. He says, I'm jealous. I want them back. I'm going to bring them back. They're going to return. I will dwell with them. And then he has this picture of this once dead city, of this once city that had been overthrown and destroyed. 
And now it's a city where children play in the street. And the beauty and the simplicity and the the loveliness of that idea. And that's what God is promising to them. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 8. Keep your your finger in in Zechariah chapter 8. But turn over to Hebrews chapter 8. And I want to read verses 8 through 10. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 through 10. Now this is, uh, of course, in the New Testament. uh, And it's, it's referencing, it's quoting some Old Testament scripture, but not specifically from Zechariah. But what I want us to recognize in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 through 10, is there's a theme that's developing here. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 through 10, uh, and especially the last part of verse 10, uh, some of uh, a passage that I think is just extremely encouraging, uh, very powerful. Hebrews 8, 8 through 10. For finding fault with them, God finding fault with the Israelites because of their lack of ability to keep his commandments, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put it in, I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and listen to this, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. So Zechariah mentions that idea of they will be, I will be their God and they will be my people. That's mentioned in Jeremiah, that's mentioned in Ezekiel, that's mentioned in Zechariah, that's mentioned in many places in the Old Testament and, and some few places in the New Testament. And again, it's this idea that, that ultimately, talking about the Israelites, but ultimately talking about the world, anyone in the world, that they can come to God and that he will be their God and that we will be his people. Now, certainly we think about the, the privilege that it is to be a part of the, the family of God, to be the, the people of God. And I take great comfort in that. But I really love the idea that God says, I will be their God. It's this idea that, that God in heaven, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who said, let there be light and there was light. He looks down on us today. He looks down on his followers today and he says, those are my children. When you look at your children Do you love them? Do you care about them? Are you proud of them in many ways? Do you take great, great pride and enjoyment and, and just, just, you're just, you're just crazy about your kids, aren't you? Grandparents? You're just crazy about your grandparents, aren't you? God looks down on us today and He says, those are my people. Those are my children. And we can look up to God, the creator of all things. The one who, who is, is, is the creator and sustainer and the one who's with us at all times. And we can say, that's my God. He's the one who I lean on. He's the one who I depend on. And the, the comfort that I get from that is immense. In Zechariah chapter 8, look at what it says in verse 13. And this is where the, the theme, or really, I guess, the, the driving point that I want us to take home with us tonight. In Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 13 It says, continuing on that same thought, it will come about that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you that you may become a blessing. Do not fear. Let your hands be strong. Notice what he says there. He says, look, you have been for some time Perhaps uh, before, perhaps during the the, uh, the time when you were taken away from Israel, and, and perhaps before that time when people thought of Israel, when people thought of Judah. Listen to this. Listen to how powerful this is. When people thought about the people of God, they thought that's a bad people. I don't want to have anything to do with them. That's that's a curse. I don't I don't like 
those people. When people in the world, when the Israelites, when, or sorry, when the nations, when the Gentiles, when everybody who, who wasn't a part of the people of God looked at the people of God, they said, I don't want to have anything to do with those people. Those people aren't nice. Those people aren't kind. Those people aren't people that I want to have anything to do with. They were a curse. And he says, I'm going to take you from being a curse and I'm going to make you a blessing. And notice the change that's described later on in verses 20 through 22. Verses 20 through 22 of Zechariah chapter 8. Thus says the Lord of hosts, it will yet be that the peoples, again the peoples, the nations, the Gentiles, everybody else, the peoples will come, even the the inhabitants of many cities, the inhabitants of one will go to another saying, let us go at once and entreat the favor of the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. I also will go. So many people and mighty nations will come and seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and in Treat the favor of the Lord. Now, we're encouraged by the fact that this is talking about people from all around the world, all the nations, all the Gentiles coming to Jerusalem and seeking God. But notice what it says in the next verse, not only about them seeking God, but them about seeking God's people. It says in verse 23, thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, 10 men from all the nations will grasp the garment of a Jew, a person of God, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. They've gone from a curse I don't want to have anything to do with those people. And then it says, they're surrounded by people and says, hey, take me to God. Show me God. Teach me about God. Help me have a relationship with this God that you serve. Now, if we think about our fellowship, there have been times when uh, throughout history where God's people have been blessings to those around them and when God's people have been considered a, a curse. There have been times when the, God's people have been looked up to and admired and there have been times when God's people have been considered not so great and, and even, uh, even a curse and people that you don't want to have to deal with or have to, uh, to, to be around. And what we want to do is we want to make sure that we are a part not of the curse not that when people think about the, the church here at Jefferson Avenue, they think about, oh, you don't want to have anything to do with those people. No, we want them to think about, no, those people love God. Those people are really committed to being Jesus followers. If you want someone to help you and you have a real need, you go to those people and, and they'll help you. We want to be a blessing to those around us. Now, a question is, and a fair question, is does this really have anything to do with us? I mean, this was over 2,000 years ago. This was three, 4,000 years ago that this was written. Does this, does this really have anything to do with us? This is talking about Jerusalem, and this is talking about the Israelites. Does this really have anything to do with us? Let's look to a couple of New Testament passages to, to emphasize the point that, yes, this does have something to do with us. Look to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Let's read verses 6 through 9. Galatians chapter 3. Let's read verses 6 through 9. Galatians 3, 6 through 9. It says, even so Abraham, okay, Abraham's the, uh, the father of the, the Israelites. He, he's the, uh, the, the very first one who's kind of in this line of, uh, of lineage that eventually leads to, to Jesus. So Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure, Paul says, be sure, make sure you know this, that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, all the nations, anybody who wasn't a Jew, he would justify them by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, listen, all the nations will be blessed in you. 
Verse 9, so then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. Now, this is a, this is a big topic in first century religion, okay? A first century Christianity. This is a, a really big deal. You've got the, the idea that, that some hold that if you really want to be a follower of God and you're coming from a, a, a religion outside of Judaism, that if you really want to be a Christian, you first have to become ritualistically, have to become a Jew, and then you can be baptized into Christ, and then you're really a Christian because that's just what you've got to do. Uh, but what this is saying is it has nothing to do with bloodline. Jesus and, and John the Baptist for sure says to some of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, hey, don't, don't think that you can trust in the fact that you're a, a, a child of Abraham because I tell you that God could raise up children of Abraham from these rocks. And he points to some rocks who are laying on the ground. So, so John makes the point, Paul makes the point, hey, lineage by blood doesn't really matter. If you're going to be a, a child of God, it's not because you, you can trace your lineage all the way back to Father Abraham. No, we, he's our father in the faith. He's the one who, he believed God and was reckoned to him as righteousness. He trusted in God's promises and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, the very same way that you and I can trust in God's promises and it can be reckoned to us as righteousness. Turn over to Romans chapter 9 and see a similar idea here that Paul teaches. Romans chapter 9. Look at the second part of uh, verse 6 through verse 8. Romans 9, uh, starting in the second part of verse 6. And this is important. We're thinking about Abraham, the, the father of the Israelites, through these promises that uh, Zechariah is making. Does it have anything to do with us? Jerusalem, does that have anything to do with us? The Israelites, does that have anything to do with us? Notice what it says in Romans 6, uh, second part of verse 6. Romans 9, second part of verse 6. It says, For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel or from Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. Not all, not, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants, but through Isaac the descendants shall be named. That is, it is not the children of flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. So hopefully, perhaps, if you're familiar with Old Testament history, you kind of know what's going on here. But if not, uh, there was a, a man named Abraham, and he was promised a son. He didn't have any children. He was promised that his descendants would be as many as the stars in the sky, as many as the sands on the seashore. And he says, and, and he and his wife are looking, and they say, hey, we don't have any kids. How are we going to have so many descendants? Jesus, this God, this, this doesn't make sense. And they do some kind of foolish things, not really trusting in God. They, they struggle in their faith a little bit, but that eventually God delivers and Isaac is born. And we know that later on there, there's a, a test where uh, God tells Abraham to go and sacrifice Isaac and God provides. And there's, there's a whole lot of Old Testament history to go on here. But, but the point is, it had absolutely nothing to do with Abraham and his wife Sarah's ability to have children that all the nations of the world will be blessed through Abraham's descendants. It had everything to do with God's work by providing that child and providing years and years and years and years later another child born in a manger who would grow up and be our perfect Savior, sacrificial Savior. This promise that uh, the Bible talks about is, is not just, wasn't just for the Jews, but it was for all mankind. And today we are not physical Israel. Uh, Jerusalem, the city itself, isn't important spiritually. But we are instead spiritual Israel. Turn again to Romans 9. Let's read verses uh, 25 and 26. Romans 9, 25 and 26, just to, uh, to drive home this point. Romans 9, 25 
and 26. It says, as he also, as he also says in uh, Hosea, another prophet that we've talked about, I will call those who are not my people, my people, and her who is not my beloved, beloved. And it shall be that in the place where they said to them, you are not my people, they shall be called sons of the living God. This promise that God made a long, long time ago is the reason that you and I have the hope of salvation. It's not through bloodline. It's not through family ties. But it's through a faith and a trust in what God has told us. And if we will rely upon him, then we will receive these blessings. When I think about Zechariah, the lesson that I want to take, and I encourage you to take, is we don't want to be a curse. Again, we could, we could think of ourselves as spiritual Israel. We could, we could very easily fall to the same temptation that the Pharisees and the Sadducees say, and we could say, look at us, look at our religious uh, history, look at our religious uh, heritage, and, and my, my parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and great-grandparents, and this, this church building's been here, not this church building, but this congregation's been here for a, 150 years, and we could all say various things about our, our spiritual history and heritage. But the reality is none of that matters. It's all good, and it's all blessings. And we don't want to take them for granted. But God cares if we're trusting in him and if we're faithful to him today. And we don't want to come across to our friends or our family or our neighbors as holier than thou or thinking we've all got it figured out. No, instead we want to come across to our friends and our family and our neighbors as people, if you want to know God, go to those people and they'll show you what they believe. Not only with their words, but with their actions. I came across this on Facebook this week, and I thought it tied in pretty well to this lesson. Let me leave you with this. If the world hates you because of Jesus, that's expected. I want you to hear that again. If the world hates you because of Jesus, that's expected. Jesus tells his apostles that the world will hate us because of him. Listen to this next part. If the world hates Jesus because of you, that's a problem. Let me read the whole thing. If the world hates you because of Jesus, that's expected. If the world hates Jesus because of you, that's a problem. Bow with me. God, we thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being your children. That you look down upon us and you say, those are my people. That's my child. Lord, help us to show with our actions and with our attitudes and with the words that we say and the care that we show to those around us that we are your children children of god children of the king lord help us not to be holier than thou help us not to act like we're better than anyone else help us to realize that that we like everyone else are simply in desperate need of you and we've been blessed to find you lord help us to show others who you are and what you've done for us lord help us to be a blessing and not a curse in our families, in our congregation, and in our community. And when we're not, show us that and help us to make good and necessary change. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Tonight, if you're not a Christian and you want to become one, or if you are a Christian and you're struggling in your faith, we want to help you however we can. If you want to let us know of any need that you have, please come forward as we stand and sing.